Welcome to the Pod of Asclepius, your healthcare technology podcast for the technical crowd. We're bringing the technical experts of engineering, entrepreneurship, data science, and regulation straight to your earbuds. And here's your host, Glenn Wright Colopy. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be stepping into the issue of clinical science, or more precisely, how innovations to trial design can help us more rigorously and efficiently support the science that underpins our clinical decision making. This is one of many episodes that we talk about on the intersection of data and clinical science. So if you'd like to hear more when episodes like this come out, don't forget to subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment. And so in many fields, our science is only as good as the experiments we design. And today, Mona Kanan and Ada Ketting will be giving us a big friendly intro to stepped wedge trial design and also some of the hot topics coming up in the field for their conference on stepped wedge trial design coming up in March in New York. So, Ada, Mona, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much, Glenn, for having us. Uh, pleasure. Cool. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe you could start off by just telling us a little bit about your own personal research and how it relates to uh, stepped wedge trial design. Okay, fine. I don't have to go. Okay, I'll, I'll go first. So, um, yeah, I'm Ada. I'm one of the lecturers um, in statistics here at the University of York. Um, and over the past couple of years, I've been involved in the um, Stepped Wedge um, International Conference. Um, so we're coming up to our third event. So that is really exciting. Um, and even though in my research, I haven't implemented one directly, Mona has a slightly, slightly different history. Um, I can see the excitement about it, and um, and yeah, we're, we're also working on on our first book about the step wedge <laughs> design. So uh, I've been involved over the last couple of years in this. Thank you. Um, I'm Mona Kanan, and I'm a reader uh, at the university here in health sciences, bracket statistics. That's where I, you know, my training was in statistics. However, moved uh, to health sciences applications. And uh, I've been working actually on a couple of uh, number of trials that implemented the stepped wedge uh, since I think uh, earlier than around 2003, 2004 my, with my first uh, trial basically where we've used uh, the stepped wedge uh, design in order to roll out a an intervention uh, for doctors in order to communicate in within uh, Syria before the war broke out, okay, and uh, in order to improve communication skills for these doctors, um, uh, basically, and we've used the design to help us in uh, the implementation it, it, uh, due to actually logistical uh, uh, problems, you know, you have a limited team and we wanted to implement it over a number of uh, sites, so that's where we went for the stepped wedge design and that was my first encounters with the design so i think that's a really good example about why people start taking up less usual clinical trial designs it's for practical reasons you know usually our considerations revolve around either trying to quantify some type of clinical comparison or some other type of comparison and or alternatively we change our trial design because we're trying to achieve that clinical comparison more efficiently. So maybe we could start by talking about, you know, the motivation behind step wedge trial design. What are the specific aspects that the trial design is trying to achieve, either in quantifying clinical comparisons or achieving those more efficiently? I, I think, uh, Glenn, you know, within the history of the designs, there have been uh, 
three major reasons given why people use it. One of them, as I just mentioned, the logistic aspect of it. And in fact, the first study that we are aware of, which is the Gambia study that used the design, was mainly for logistical reasons because it enabled you know one team to roll out a vaccination across the whole uh, country effectively and uh, other things that people use as well is uh, ethical you know they feel that you know i need to give this intervention basically i needed to give it to all my participants so let's basically uh, you know i, I don't want to uh, because uh, you know in uh, usual uh, trials Basically, you deprive the, you know, one set of people of the intervention, whereas with the step to edge design, it enables you to say, well, by the end of my study, everybody would have taken, you know, would, would have uh, received the intervention, basically. So some people do argue that this is, you know, it's, it's a good thing uh, to use, specifically when you have an indication that, you know, you know from previous studies that, um, uh, the intervention does not do harm. Basically, there's a positive thing of uh, there's a potential positive effect compared uh, to the current status. And uh, I think the third one that's given is social acceptability. So people, you know, sometimes basically when you have a policy to be rolled out, like. Uh, over here in the UK, there was, uh, I think, a decade or so ago, a sure start, which looks at uh, babies trying to improve, you know, children trying to improve their uh, beginnings, basically, by offering them some uh, context in terms of uh, reading groups and also uh, similar things. It would have been nice to use this design in order, as we roll out, you know, this intervention to understand how effective it is in improving the outcomes that we are looking at basically so these are the three main reasons people do usually use in order to justify why uh, they are picking this design yeah i guess it just gives us the chance to get at least a minimal amount of evidence about a particular intervention so particularly for organizations <clears throat> or governments or or other bodies um, that don't want to spend an awful lot of money on their research um, and don't have that that luxury to maybe wait a couple of years to to see which intervention is most effective they will have come up with a particular idea they roll it out and this gives us the one chance to actually roll it out in such a way that we also get evidence as to how effective it is so yeah i guess it feeds into that logistical idea yeah and you know you mentioned so its application could be in a lot of places basically it doesn't have to be clinical setting it could be social uh, it could be criminal justice. I've been involved with uh, a couple where it was criminal justice, uh, basically, where we try to evaluate a citizenship program uh, uh, given to inmates in order to see, you know, if it is improves uh, you know, certain outcomes, basically specific, uh, you know, uh, whether it deters them uh, from uh, committing again crimes later on after 12 months or so. By, uh, so the applications can be wide uh, in, in that aspect, but a lot of the applications now, if you look at, uh, are within health settings uh, as compared to other things. Having said that, it's picking up slowly, slowly within other social uh, settings as well. I guess it's kind of um, 
more applicable where, where we have natural clusters. So, mm -hmm. so the reason why health settings are often come to mind because they're already organized in clusters. They're already in hospitals or um, in GP practices. Mm -hmm. so, so it's much easier to find that kind of unit of, of clustering or um, in lots of educational settings, again, where we've got schools or, as you said, for prison mm -hmm. settings where you've already got people in, in, in their natural cluster. So they just tend to be in, in those applications in those areas. Yeah, cool. One of the things I wanted to just underscore, you mentioned the Gambia study, which I believe is sort of the quintessential or at least the inaugural study that really popularized this design. And they also, uh, I guess, they gave us the picture, the pictographic depiction of the uh, design from which it got its name. And I believe, Ada, you have a fancy piece of paper it's right here. super, super high tech. So this Ooh. is... I'm sure uh, this will be um, overlaid with something more uh, spectacular. Um, our basic idea of our um, step wedge trial design. So I really don't know whether you can see this, but the basic idea is more step wedge um, designs will be um, organized. Let me see whether I'm on camera with this. Mm -hmm. Is we have a number of um, timelines and a number of clusters. And the idea is that everybody starts out with the control condition at the beginning of the um, of the uh, trial. And then as we go from step to step to step, um, more and more clusters will um, get the intervention that you're trying to evaluate. And actually the, the thing that's being randomized is which one of those um, uh, sequences you're, you're about to get. So there's lots and lots of variation in terms of um, how these can be organized, um, where the different people actually sit within each cluster and, or whether you follow some people up long term. Um, there might be potentially between these sort of changes uh, from the control condition to the intervention condition, there may be a bit of sort of cooling off periods where basically they're going back to, to, to baseline and before they're evaluating the other one so you don't get that same sort of carryover effect um, that might um, affect your, your data analysis. But that's your, your basic step wedge design and you know just to give you an example of uh, studies that i'm actually currently involved in uh, looking at training therapists uh, effectively uh, in order to improve uh, the outcomes for people with common mental disorders with some psychotic um, experiences so trying to put you know a lot of information that same schema becomes a little bit more complex and because you need to communicate that to your audience and I think there's always a challenge trying to communicate to the wider team what is it actually uh, how is it implemented and what we are doing and what is being randomized in, in this case so uh, it becomes you know it, it isn't uh, something very intuitive to people you know to understand how things are rolled out uh, so that you try to put, you know, as much information as possible into these schemes to improve that communication. Mm -hmm. And if uh, I think uh, as well, uh, there is a, um, I don't know if you're aware of the extension of the consort di uh, basically to step wedge, consort statement. The consort statement is a consolidated basic state reporting of trials. And now this has been extended to uh, stepped wedge designs, and you will, uh, you know, you'll find in that article as well a very general, uh, basically, schema of uh, the design in addition to, 
you know, the language that's currently being used. So people, what they're trying to do is to find a common language to when we refer to things, we all refer to one thing rather than different people, you know, up to a certain point where talking about the same thing, but using different terminology. So that helps as, as well. Great. And uh, I, I'm a little bit interested in sort of what the hot topics in this field are, which no doubt are going to be covered by the conference. But just very, very quickly at first, I'm as a novice in understanding this type of trial design, I'm a little bit curious. Um, is are the patients who in the control arm is the idea that their control arm response is entirely defined by the period before they have the treatment administered so is the way that we quantify the control arm response defined by essentially that period before the treatment happens yeah it's it's all that you know everything before that you know before the intervention happens becomes the control effectively so uh, you know you'll have your baseline where everybody is a control and then the next uh, you know so that's only part of your control group that's not the whole control group and as you progress everybody who hasn't received the intervention feeds into that control group as well so you know if you have balanced number of steps and uh, clusters you know by the end of your um, study you should have half the numbers being in the control uh, basically uh, versus uh, half being in the intervention. Cool. And so as far as just to understand a little bit more how this works, uh, looking at the step wedge, so we have these patients who are sequentially added to the treatment and presumably the, the patients are clustered and are at each step is a new cluster added to the treatment arm? Okay, so suppose you have eight centers, okay, uh, that you, you want to work with, basically. Now, there are lots of variation of the design, okay, but one of the common, uh, most common ones is when you have uh, a new set of people at each time point. So you start with your currently eight uh, centers, you see who's there, and then you make your measurements. And then the next step would be, for example, you can either pick either one center or two to randomize and introduce the intervention to. Now, most of, a lot of the times, this, the new, there would be a new set of people that are in your center when you're, you're doing your second measurement on that center. But as well as you're doing the measurement on the people that you're intervening on, you as well carry on measuring the people you haven't intervened on. So you're, you're continuously measuring those centers as you go along, giving the intervention and, you know, you give it for at the second time point, maybe you give it to another two randomly picked two centers and do your measurements all over again until by the end of your fifth steps, basically everybody would have received the intervention and you do your measurements across uh, that intervention. Yeah, and it may be that you only have like one set of, of people who you then pick these clusters from, but in a lot of our settings, certainly in the health settings, um, it kind of happens naturally anyway. So over the periods of time, you will have, say, in an A&E department, you'll have um, a new set of admissions. So you would basically, you know, in the first month, the, in that first sort of cluster, all of the admissions that would form that cluster, and then 
as you follow them up, the next set of admissions would form the next cluster. So in a lot of the settings that we work in, um, the kind of people, the new people that come in for each cluster um, occur kind of naturally. Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe uh, could we hit on that a little bit more about sort of which clinical settings are most amenable to this type of trial design? Um, is it, um, you know, is it defined by how patients arrive and how easy they are to sort of dichotomize between different groups? Or what, um, what, what are sort of the main characteristics in a clinical setting that you look for to say, this seems like a good candidate for step wedge trial design? I think that can be a multitude of things, basically. I And I think it's mainly is how feasible, basically, whether it's needed, I think maybe would be the first question to answer is that, do we actually need a step watch design? Because it brings in a lot of complexities in terms of administration. Uh, so that would be our first question before we, you know, make a decision that it is actually, you know, the thing to go for. It's when you feel that you, you know, you have limited resources, for example, to implement something. So if you are, you know, for example, in our case of uh, uh, trainings as psychologists, we have a limited resource, which is those who are gonna do the package and then do the training. So we were forced basically, you know, to go down this design in, in, to, in order to enable us uh, to, evaluate the impact of our training package. Uh, so I, I gather, you know, uh, one thing is that you need enough people as well to, you know, enough throughput to, to be able to uh, execute the design within a specific, you know, period of time. So you can't be waiting for the odd, you know, some uh, person who's coming with uh, you know, a specific, uh, disease in order to pick it up. It has to be, you know, there has to be a pool of people, enough pool of people that enable you to draw from, uh, because then basically that gives you uh, enough time to recruit and conduct the study within a very limited time, which is usually uh, no more than, you know, three to five years at, at max. Yeah. yeah, basically probably want something um, where your follow-up isn't also too long because at some point you're going to have to switch from the um, control to the intervention. So if, if you're following people up for, for a very long time and so in the meantime there's more people coming through um, that now are in, in the opposite um, and you're still treating other people with something else, maybe with a continuous intervention, so there can then happen quite a lot of contamination. So you really, I think your step wedge is most useful when you have a defined intervention that doesn't take very long, say something about on a hospital ward that is about wound healing and you, you do a particular um, intervention in order to, to to help that wound healing and maybe have a maximum horizon of, I don't know, I want to say month or 90 mm -hmm. days to, to see how that's going. And then it's easy to transition um, with enough throughput of new patients that you're going to admit to those wards for the next clusters. As soon as you actually, just as Mona says, um, there's actually only a, a small number of people um, at any one time, then you know, you're just not going to get enough clusters, enough people in order to have a meaningful analysis, particularly if you then want to follow them up for like six or 12 months, then probably your step wedge is is not the right thing. And, and just as Mona says, it really is worthwhile thinking about whether a step wedge really is needed or whether um, a normal parallel cluster um, design is just as feasible. Can you in your hospital randomize some wards to, to some interventions and another wards to another? 
or is the step wedge needed because everybody has to have um, the intervention at the end or is there a real logistical problem why you can't do them all at the same time why you want to um, implement them in a step fashion that's really interesting um one of the things because i was a bit curious about this on this issue of just patient recruitment um so it does seem like this uh this trial design is something that you know as we know in clinical trials patient recruitment's an issue uh and people typically like uh falling below expected patient recruitment is more the norm than the than a deviation so what is one of the main issues that these need to be used in clinical settings where patient recruitment effectively isn't too much of an issue that you have enough patients coming in in terms of throughput that there's that they are i guess chronologically clustered at the very least in addition to what other types of clustering you might wish to do um they need to be well chronologically clustered so this can't be something where patient recruitment extends on ad infinitum yeah absolutely it, it has to be defined otherwise it would take you know very long time to conduct a study and i think probably you know uh number of studies have used as uh, as well routinely collected data and that is uh, that is something you know of interest if you, if you can find routinely collected data as your outcome uh, might be something to think uh, about as well so you will have you'll have the volume of you know observations within your cluster basically just out of curiosity because you know on the issue of clustering through time what about a case, for example, where if the clusters were a bit few and far between, uh, essentially patients would come in in large clusters at individual times, but then there's large time gaps between clusters. Is that something that's amenable to the trial design or would that cause more problems than it would uh, benefit? I think the longer, usually, typically, you know, with, with most studies, the longer you take, the more difficult it is then to, to manage the trial. And you, you want to try to, you know, do it within a limited time period as well. And that brings as well other questions, basically. Are we still using the same intervention or over time has it evolved to something else uh, uh, effectively? And then is there a potential as well to think about because you're following, you know, we're looking at uh, basically at the impact of the intervention across the different uh, time periods. Is it still the same, uh, basically, interventions that you delivered people? Are they still receiving the intervention or is it a version of it? Has it waned over time or did it improve over time as well? These are things then, the longer you stay, the, more, the bigger the impact of such things, basically, would be on your study. Um, yeah, yeah I think having people who, um, who just come in, in sort of bouts and, you know, you'd have no guarantee they're the same belts and the different clusters that you're that you're looking at and you want to want to move on from one step to another so i think you you really struggle to analyze that at the end and not have any confounding of of time that beyond what you can control for yeah i think you also hit, hit on just another interesting point and something that i think is probably a little bit less appreciated in clinical science as a whole that we don't have these sort of stagnant baseline comparators in many cases. You know, when you're trying to compare an intervention, the intervention isn't done in a vacuum. It's done in the context of a large number of other clinical interventions and poking and prodding and pestering 
on the side of the clinician, on the side of the patient, to try to get the most out of, um, you know, get the best outcome that's possible for a patient. You know, there's no reason to inflict people with science. You know, um, you, you want them to have the best clinical outcome that's possible. And so, while yes, it is informative to be doing these experiments, the fact is there's a bit of a moving baseline, and there's all these other confounding factors that we can, tr can try to control them to the best of our ability, but we can't stop the rest of clinical progress in order to assess one facet of a patient's clinical experience. Um, so I think I think that's I think it's interesting when people are trying to design experiments, fully recognizing that there are challenges to it. You know, it's like as statisticians, we need to list our assumptions. Um, and for example, like Bayesian statistics, they say, oh well, you make all these assumptions, you make all these priors that are questionable. It's like, well, at least it has it out there in the open. And it seems like step wedge trial design, at the very least, yes, there are many challenges that you know, you just mentioned, but the fact is by at least putting it out there in the open, it is actually formalizing our understanding of clinical science more holistically, saying, here's where this trial will fail. Um, you know, it's a, it's a nice bit of honesty and helps us progress more as the science. Yeah, and we can, can build steps into our designs in order to mitigate them as much as possible. So quite often you'll find in your step watch designs, there'll be some kind of embedding period um, where we don't actually measure anything yet because we just want that natural development while they're sort of refining the intervention so it doesn't change over time but just initially just sort of try it out and see what works so we normally build that into it and, and we actually start measuring maybe at a later time point but it, it definitely I mean that moving baseline is a definite issue and and again I think this is why people should have a good think about whether they want to take on the risk of of all these confounders with the step bridge whether it's really worth it or whether they could go for for a normal parallel cluster design where we have everybody at, at one time point. Cool. So now um, now that we've understood a little bit more of the basic aspects of the trial design, what are some of the, I guess, hot topics or new developments in the trial design? Um, is it people trying to make them more robust? I figure that you're actually going to be talking about this. This is the t subject of your conference that's coming up. Yeah, I think there's quite actually a lot of methodological work that's been, uh, you know, happening uh, associated with, with the design. I think, uh, uh, you know, if you look back in time, basically, we had the Hasse and Hughes paper was among the first paper in 2007, I think, you know, was uh, started where they started talking about how do you analyze the design and, you know, how do you calculate sample size for the design and they had a scenario that has now been evolving over time in, uh, in order to accommodate uh, basically the different elements that people did not uh, incorporate at that stage when they were doing either their analysis or uh, their sample size calculations. So it, you know, with people using the design, it basically as well helped in the emerging field of the methodology itself. And that's what we will be covering within uh, the conference a lot a lot of our speakers will be talking about methodological Im uh, improvements and new innovations within uh, how you design the step wedge and you know what things to think about in terms of confounding and uh, what are optimal and highly efficient designs um, there is quite a bit of research doing um, being done on, on sample size calculations so um, as you can imagine there's a lot of elements that go into um, a stopwatch then based on, on the clustering, the size and the stepping and the, the timing. And so um, 
for the different types of outcomes that we can possibly have on a trial, um, there's an ever more developing field of, of sample size calculation. So we actually have the most um, adequate calculation to, to prove our, our, um, our points. Yeah, I was looking at the uh, trial design schema and just wondering, it's like, how do they figure out how to power these things? Uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like, that sounds like really annoying math. Like, it's like, yeah. It's, I it is. Think it's, 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 quite, it's quite, and I think what's happening now is that there have been some packages in both R and Stata, and uh, you know, and they improving of, over time as we go with time. You know, more elements are added to them basically to enable you know uh, to capture all the complexity of the design itself because it is a complex design. Is you know you have to think okay how big my step should be. What do I, you know, where do I get, you know, what's the optimal uh, step uh, length, basically? How many people should I, you know, like the cluster randomized, normal cluster, you know, parallel arm cluster randomized to people, you know, need to know how many people you, you want, you know, how big is your cluster size? Is there an autocorrelation of your clusters over time? Nowadays, it's being factored. At the beginning of it, that wasn't, you know, something people uh, in, thought about but as, as a, you know as the science is progressing more and more elements are coming into play uh, regarding the design itself uh, yeah i'm just curious because uh at, at this point are these types of calculations still purely analytical or is it now largely requiring simulation to encompass all the variety okay I think some of it is analytical, but others you can't, you, you know, you, you need simu simulation to be able to do it, but uh, because there isn't a closed formula to do it effectively uh, for some settings. So it's it's both uh, happening at the same time. Well, better for the computers to suffer and sweat than for <laughs> us to. Quite, yeah. So for those of you who want to know more, I'm popping up the website for the upcoming Step Wedge Trial Design Conference happening in York. Uh, what should people know? Yeah, if if your listeners, um, you know, listen before March, there's still time to there's still time mm -hmm. to register and come over to to the beautiful city of York. Or if it's after after March, then um, our next one will be around this time of year in 2022. Mm -hmm. And we would be very happy to have anybody who's either done. Um, a step wedge um, trial or is about to do one or has got any kind of experience in particular settings, we're very, very um, keen to hear from them over the next couple of years. And yeah, I think I think it's just to know basically that, you know, uh, the design itself is exciting people from all over the world and we have you know, uh, speakers from Australia to America and, you know, the UK and Europe basically. So it's just uh, it gives you an idea of the interest in, in the design and people wanting to come together to try to understand, uh, you know, how we can progress it and do it better uh, as uh, time goes by. Great. Well, thanks so much to each of you for your time today. Um, really looking to forward to hearing about the outcomes from the conference and probably we'll just have a follow-up conversation later to um, after the conference to see what people were talking about and what some of the cool new ideas were. That'd be great. Thank Thanks you very much. So much. Thank you. Not a problem. Have a great day. You too, Glenn. <laughs> See you. See you. Well, Thanks. that's it for this episode of The Pod of Asclepius. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune in for our next episode. If you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and leave a like. 
You can also follow us on our other social media channels, including LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Have a great story or presentation that's ready for prime time? Or know someone who does? Drop Glenn an email because he'd be happy to hear from you. We would like to thank our sponsors from the American Statistical Association section on Statistical Learning and Data Science, section on Medical Devices and Diagnostics, and North Carolina Chapter. The views expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not their employers, our sponsors, or anyone else not saying the words.